0: I, Charles the Fourth, or is it the Third? Bloody! We will strive so for
1: the dehisculation of the grave. Let record. me put it to record. Record. you, just do. Yes, if you win by one, oh, well, you've you won.
2: The phone went over the side. It is time to draw a I just think everyone should be sure. What the fuck is going
1: on?
0: Welcome to my podcast, where each week (it's not strictly speaking true). Most weeks, I ask the question, what the fuck is going on? Now, I haven't been able to ask that question. Well, I have in my head, and that's one for philosophy students, whether I was still asking it or not, but no one could hear me asking it, because amongst the symptoms of over a six-week period, five days a week, having some irradiating radioactive laser beam thing (laughs) fired All your vocal cords, it turns out that that actually makes your vocal cords not work. So, as an experiment, that proved something. (coughs) But the voice is sort of creeping back. It's about 50% of a voice now. It might be. If it was properly 50% of a voice, then I'd be able to go, welcome. Because this question what going on? Government, Johnson, and Kit Starman bloody better, Donald Trump. But uh, all the words are about 50%. So next week, we may well be back to to a whole new... In fact, we will be. Let's say we will be. However, this week, there's a classic episode. A classic episode that you'll all remember. Hopefully you won't, because there's been no point in putting it out again. A classic episode in which uh, we asked, what the fuck is going on in the world of history, things that have happened before, with John O'Farrell, and Angela Barnes.
1: Now, as anybody knows who has ever tried to work out what the fuck is going on, you need expert advice. But this week, not only do we have expert advice on what the fuck is going on, but we're going to have expert advice on what the fuck was going on. Because John O'Farrell and Angela Barnes of the We Are History podcast, their own podcast, that has now made... Oh, well, they will tell us exactly how many uh, episodes, but I guess seven or eight million uh, are with me now. Hello, John and Angela.
3: Hello, Mark. I'm, Hello, Mark. I'm slightly concerned yeah. at your use of the word experts. I, I feel like we might have read the pudding there a bit mm. in the intro.
1: <laughs> Absolute experts. Well, we're going to come on to that in a, in a little bit. We'll talk about experts, but first of all, I mean, like any podcast, I know this is such a cliche, but we're going to start by talking about Albania, <laughs>
2: um, of
1: course, <laughs> and they're all the same. I mean, I heard one, I heard one about uh, about. Um, uh, about recent music it's all about albania all the football podcasts all start by talking about albania and the same because very very recently such as like an hour before recording this i was uh listening to a one about albania and i thought it was absolutely fascinating but First of all, what do you, what's the most poignant part of it that you r- remember? So the pyramid scheme stuff and all that.
2: Well, the pyramid scheme is really sad. But there's a – I mean, I should say that both of us read uh, Leah Ippi's book uh, on Albania, which was like a personal memoir. And there's a bit in that where she's talking about her mum who joined the sort of Democratic Party – Welcoming these French feminists to Albania, and thinking I must look smart for them, but they had no experience of Western fashion. They'd had all this jumble arrived in Albania, so she put on this red gown that she thought looked really flash. And it was a, it was a, it was a nightwear. It was a nighty. It was like something from Ann Summers. But she didn't know because she didn't have the experience or the background mm. or the, you know, the TV shows to have any idea what people wore to posh do. So she was wearing this slinky, see-through red negligee thing. And all these women arrived in posh trouser suits, and I just thought, "Oh, this woman was trying so hard." But it's sort of tragic and funny at the same time. It's yeah,
1: yeah, tragic and funny because it's because it's personal, and that's what yeah. history never was, was it? I mean, back when I when I was a boy, it was it wasn't personal. No. It was about a list of dates and a list of events, and I yeah, that one story I thought is brilliant. It is one uh, the, the personal sort of little journey, I suppose, is the modern word of that woman to try to fit in of course if it was you know god knows now there'd probably be a twitter storm and calling her an arsehole and letting <laughs> down the sisterhood or something
3: i think it's it's those personal stories that sort of well why we started it And what you talked about you know when you learned history at school it was very dense and You, depending on you, you know, some people are lucky to have a good teacher or whatever, but it was boring learning history at school. I was never interested in history at school. I didn't do history A level. I didn't, you know, and as an adult, just when I got to just read things that I wanted to read, I was really drawn towards things that started with a personal story. And then that would then make me go, oh, okay, well, the backdrop of this is World War II or the Cold War or whatever, and made me then want to learn about those events but if you start with a personal story then it connects you to those events in a way that sitting in a classroom learning about corn laws doesn't really yeah well we you and i
1: angela just a few days ago went to see a musical operation mincemeat which was astonishingly brilliant uh, a musical about <laughs> uh, one event in the second world war in which a uh, the british needed to try and or the allied forces needed to try and convince the Germans that they were going to invade in Sardinia where in fact they were actually going to uh, invade through the south of Italy in Sicily was the plan. And so they used a corpse of a homeless man who had died and they put a load of documents with him that were false in order to try and convince the Germans that that was the case. If you start with that, then... I can't, you would have to be quite extraordinary to not be fascinated by history if you heard that story. Absolutely. Yeah, weirdly
2: enough, we did, we did a podcast about Operation Mincemeat before the uh, musical or the film came out. And then we were like, oh, this is, we're not the only ones to have read Ben McIntyre's book and gone, well, this is a really fascinating story. What Operation Mincemeat, the musical, did so brilliantly was just to extrapolate from the challenges they had in doing that and then say, well, what would a letter be like? What would a letter be like from, yeah, yeah and then suddenly you've got this backstory of this woman who'd obviously lost someone in the first world war. And it's a tragic song, dear bill. Um, so they made, they made, you know, creatively made a some really moving human stories in us in that musical. It's got, do you think it's got better then? Because like, Angela, you
1: were saying you hated history at school and stuff. And I, and yeah, I remember that. It was just when was the Edict of Nantes or some shite. 1685.
3: Or, you know. <laughs> and that's why I do oh, no. the podcast with John O'Farrell. <laughs> what was
2: it about? I've no idea. I'm quite impressed with that. It was a revocation of the Edict of Nantes by Cardinal Richler. And what it was, it's important because it unleashed the huge sort of uh, amount of persecution on the Protestants of France. And then they all came over here and, you know, s- set up, you know, patisseries yeah, in London. Did. Bloody Huguenots, send yeah. back. Bloody Huguenots <laughs> coming over here, giving us coming nice croissants. Coming over here off. with their
1: fucking, yeah, with their fucking work ethic. <laughs>
2: yeah. Bloody,
1: we would work, you know, we'd have been working 12 hours a week if it wasn't for them. Absolutely. <laughs> Bloody Calvinist but... bastards coming over here. Oh, dear. <laughs> 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 uh, I did a... Um, I, uh, when I was doing a sort of live version of me in town series and I was in Winchester and I did a whole load of stuff at the, during the show about the, the cathedral there and about how I'd found out that the cathedral during the French Revolution, Winchester Cathedral was used as a refuge for Catholic priests who fled the French Revolution and they came over here and they were put up in Winchester Cathedral. And I did this whole thing and I was sort of improvising it about people going to bloody Catholics. You don't hear, you don't hear bloody English round Winchester anymore. It's all bloody Latin these days, all bloody coming over here with their transubstantiation. You don't get proper food. It's all wafers, all that sort of thing. And... Uh, and then I was doing, oh, King Alfred the Great, there's a big statue of him because Winchester was like the capital at one point under the Danes. And uh, a bloke come up to me afterwards as I was leaving, honestly, and he went, Mark, I'd just like to say, it's lucky you've been in Winchester tonight, and it's it, seeing as you've got all that material about Winchester. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Do you think oh, you go and do that same bit in Hull <laughs> and it gets nothing?
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. What's well,
3: so a fucking boy? Mark still's in town.
2: He's only in one town, but he takes that show around Britain. <laughs> oh, dear.
1: But, yeah, and that is... Uh, I, and I suppose that... And I suppose there must have always been people who did this who look at history as something that is not just pertinent to now, because obviously all the even the, most, the dullest history teachers would say that, but that you see... You see the Edict of Nantes or whatever, and you think that person would not have been that far removed from people we know or from ourselves. That person in the American Civil War fighting in, in the woods somewhere in Antietam or whatever, or, or Gettysburg, they would have been having the, the same arguments as ones that we know
2: about. It's like me saying to my daughter, "You've nicked my good microphone for my podcast." It was the same in the American Civil War. Where's the good microphone for my podcast?
3: <laughs> These are the, the same perennial debates that happened down the ages. Um, You're not, no, of microphone, sorry, can I just say, John, your microphone's yeah. rubbing on your collar and it's making loads ah, of noise. i might this one. Yeah. Oh, I
2: shouldn't be using this one. Oh. I'll, I'll sorry. go. Yeah. I'll use the uh, sorry to produce Bill- <laughs> your
3: podcast. <laughs> I'll, build, I'll use the uh, I'll
2: turn off the Bluetooth. Actually, I'll take it off this one.
1: Yeah, and that was exactly the same because when Abraham Lincoln delivered the Gettysburg Address, <laughs> he got about, he got a couple of lines in three score years and ten. Abraham, <laughs> mate, <laughs> oi! We can't hear you. You fucking is scratching on your. Take that stupid
3: hat it's just off. It's exactly. rubbing on your stovepipe, mate.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Oh <laughs> no, I think that, that when Abraham Lincoln delivered the Gettysburg Address, it, what it did go down very badly. He thought, and he w- he went off and was told, you know, like no one could hear, and people were chatting, and he was, you know, probably probably someone doing all them old jokes. There used to be a pool table there, mate, <laughs> and all that, and he uh, <laughs> he come off. Fucking terrible. Just went and terrible disaster. I know it was fine. It was fine. They loved the bit about liberty and an end to slavery. And it's really, I'm going to drop that for the next one.
3: It's that thing because I think when you, we know Mark from performing stand up that when you think you've had a night where the audience aren't really enjoying it and that, well, they weren't there the night before. So they don't realize how different Mm. it sounded. You know, you come away from those nights, you're like, oh, that was a struggle. And then people are like, oh, we loved it. Well, well, tell your faces you
1: know <laughs> <laughs> yes exactly but that's i mean I, well similarly you know the, um jimmy hendrix apparently was just after woodstock just thought it was a disaster i think a lot of people sort of left uh, You know, didn't see him and things like that you know and and, and once again you know abraham lincoln and jimmy
2: hendrix were very very, but is, they are very similar but, <laughs> old uh, the thing is the thing is that these the thing of history is it's sort of um old spin is what it is so uh, someone wrote up that it was a great speech and that it was really influential. And that has got sort of um, uh, handed mm. down as the official version. Now, there's things that have happened um, that uh, are now accepted as facts. When we, some of the things in our lifetime, we remember were not exactly that. It's not exactly happened. We didn't all suddenly get into punk in 1976 and get a haircut. We all sort of thought, oh, they're a bit scary. I'm going to get beaten up by those lads, and it was gradual. And but you'll watch the sort of "I love the 1970s," and everyone's going, "Yeah, I just cut off my hair and bought some crazy colour, and it was amazing." (laughs) Everyone was a punk. It's like, no, we weren't. You know, so there's and that's the same. Very,
1: very few people. And that's the same all through
2: history. You know, it's all.
1: Yes. Yes. No. Uh, oh, absolutely, it's a minority, but sometimes a minority that drag the society with them. If that, so I'll come on to that in a bit. Because, but I think that it's sort of, I think that the key things, this, which is true of your podcast and true of anything that makes history popular, is just recognizing that the people were had were real people having real arguments and debates and so on, and particularly if, if we all have in sort of different ways and so on, all been tried at one way or another to try and influence the current times as well you think well those arguments would have been not that dissimilar so there will have been arguments say in the American Civil War there will have been people who said oh if we try and rush the abolition of slavery we're going to put off the middle ground and there will have been there'll have been some nutcase going well like John Brown, you know, who was a very key figure. and No, fuck that. Let's just go and kill a load of slave owners with a sword now. And there'll have been no nutcases and there'll have been someone going, oh, for Christ's sake. You know, And then, and which I love the bit in your book, John, where you're in your book that things can only get worse, where you're describing someone in a meeting who's the, who's the nutcase who, even when you're offered victory, decides that's not yeah, enough? Absolutely,
2: this is a <laughs> perennial problem. You know, we've all been in those meetings, um, and all the way through history, you're going, oh, uh, "Look, there's what's achievable. There's what's not achievable," and people uh, on both sides sort of arguing really hard. There's a, there's an interesting one that we did, which was about the women's suffrage. Now, everyone today goes, "Of course, women should have the vote," but then you stop, you step back, and you think, "Why?" Why was that so hard? If it's such an obvious thing, and of course it was a minority position back in the sort of in 1900, and so we looked at the campaign against women's suffrage and all the people who thought it was a shame to give women the vote and take them off all those wonderful charity boards and the Labour Party, right, had, I say, yeah, for the Labour Party <laughs> being opposed to women's suffrage, and I thought, well, what's that about? And of course they're only planning to extend the vote to posh women; they weren't doing it to working class women because working class men didn't have the vote, so that's why the Labour Party said. No, not just on equal terms with men. Everyone should have the vote. So it's very complex, and it's interesting to dig underneath it and go, yeah, it was that was a battle.
1: Yes, yes, of course. And also, I think the, the far left, is the Social Democratic Foundation, which is the sort of far left group uh, to the left of the Labour Party, I think that they were the most misogynist of all at the time. They... Um, there was a guy called Belfort Bax, I believe, who actually believed women had smaller brains than men, and so on, <laughs> and therefore shouldn't be given the, the vote. And they were the <laughs> yeah, a top
2: Kazakhstan scientist yeah. says women have size brain size of squirrel. <laughs> this is
1: proven. Yeah, but these arguments they're not they're not that dissimilar to the ones that we would that that people would have now, or that say in Albania. You know, when you, you were talking in the Albanian episode about the demonstrations. And all the fear and so on and the the dynamic that means that I think anybody who's ever been part of a campaign of any sort knows that feeling that you've got lots of people that agree with the cause, but they don't really feel there's anything you can do about it. And then suddenly that can tip over. Those of us who remember the late 80s, suddenly that tipped over with the poll tax riots and so on. Suddenly there was a feeling of
2: like Thatcher can be beaten here that's, so that's um, another example mark the poll tax riots. they always show the poll tax was deeply unpopular then there were riots and it was overturned It's like hang on no it wasn't overturned because of the riots it was overturned because lots of conservative mps were going to lose their seats and they pushed thatcher out but it's just better tv sh- footage to have those burning porter cabins in uh trafalgar square so that's how the narrative gets shaped by what's more dramatic and more interesting
1: yes i would say that the two things were connected yeah. oh, sure. though, because i think it was th- you know because because the riots weren't I mean, good. It's one thing I remember. I remember it really well. So uh, I remember uh, that there was a uh, there was a TV recording. I can't remember it was what it Paramount was. City. It was one of those very it was Paramount City. No, it wasn't oh. that. It was a different one. It was a very early sort of satellite type thing bsp right, yeah, yeah, or something yeah. like that and some of the comics like myself at the time weren't known at all and we used, used to get like what for the time was a huge amount of money for it going the on happening the, the happening yeah, yeah. and Jackie oh, but, watched it no but jackie John put did. all the comics
2: on it my wife
1: <laughs> did you? Uh. oh right yes yes yes, yes. of oh, course <laughs> right so yeah so but, well i wonder if she remembers this incident right so i remember um that mark thomas was on it and i i was on it on the same night and it was two days after the poll tax riot so on the monday i guess and the streets were still littered with yeah. the debris of the riot and it because it was recorded somewhere up in round about tottenham, tottenham court road yeah, the Astoria, somewhere yeah somewhere like that the astoria and and he said to me uh, right i've got a great opening line uh i said what's that he said what's all this fuss about the poll tax riot we pay the police's wages. We're, tr- we're entitled to kick him about a bit if we want. And I said, well, you can't start with that. <laughs> and he i oh, oh, do what I want. So he went on and did that. And the whole place cheered. And um, including like the camera, I thought, wow. And I remember thinking, and I'd say to a couple of people, oh, Thatcher's can't survive this. You can't, I mean, because it was just the sort of, it was that moment when i thought right this has now gone beyond this is not just this is not the left this is not just people who hate they've always hated thatcher this is now this has gone beyond this is something that has connected with huge numbers of people and once you've got that in society i think a similar thing happened not so dramatically to boris johnson i was just going to say that i think we're seeing that
3: play out right now and i've noticed it just from so i'm doing my tour show at the moment and i've got a routine in in my tour about (laughs) sort of billionaires and greediness really and that routine oh, yeah, used yeah, to go yeah. you know fairly well it's fine and then after I, it was really noticed, I did it at the fringe last year in August and then after the fringe the whole Liz Truss thing happened and suddenly that routine there were some places I would go to some towns you'd go to you know sort of more conservative towns where that bit, you'd see people in the audience going, well, this is all very well, but I might be a billionaire one day, you know, and I'd say, well, you won't be because you're in, <laughs> you know, Bicester on a Friday night, but okay. And then, um, <laughs> you know, whatever. But you could see a real change. Would the whole of Bicester <laughs> be worth a billion pounds, <laughs> you think? get <laughs> yeah, a lot of change, I think. and And, um, but what I really noticed was that bit getting a lot more, and also I talk about Partygate, and I think Partygate was a moment for us where, um, for and by us I mean the whole country where moderate conservatives suddenly couldn't mm. pretend anymore that they were okay with with Boris Johnson and what was happening because that was a moment where that mm. that particular government went, we don't give a fuck about. We're not even going to pretend anymore that we think you know that that we're going to do the right thing that we're you know that we don't think we're better than you, and I think it was really interesting to see that little political segment of my show started going better in towns where it hadn't been. And I think what happens and what happened, what you're describing there with the poll tax riots is once the middle classes start feeling the squeeze then there's a problem, right? Because there's no yeah. more plausible deniability then. The, the middle classes can't be going, well, they're poor because they're feckless or because they're whatever, because they don't work hard enough. Or There's <laughs> all this plausible deniability that people use to, you know, to tell themselves that the problem of po- working classes and poor people isn't their problem, because it's these feckless poor people yeah. that don't. When it starts hitting their pocket in the middle classes, when their interest rates go up on their mortgage and they can't pay it anymore, when that starts happening, then it's like, oh, hang on a minute! I'm not feckless and poor, so there must be a problem if it's affecting me.
1: I think that, yeah, I think there's a lot of truth in that. I don't, I'm not sure I'd characterise them as middle classes. Well. I think they're probably people that are working class who are who have just not really engaged with what's going on at yeah. that point, and um and I think that there's a sort of people that would be described as middle class are actually, yeah, you know, because they're on. I don't know. Maybe they're on fifty grand a year or something, but they still haven't got a great deal of security. Yeah. And uh, particularly if you live in the south, you know, you still means you've got kids that are living with you until you until they're
3: forty, <laughs> and, Sorry, and I'm so just, on. And, I'm just waiting for the the tweet Twitter tomorrow. Mark Steele thinks that if you're on fifty grand a year, you're working class. I'm looking forward to seeing that. Yeah, well, I do, <laughs> yeah. I do think that. So
1: they can tweet whatever they like. I do think, uh, I do think that.
2: And um, I think what's also true, Mark, uh, but I think.
3: Yeah, yeah so I, say I think it's
2: also true. Is as well as what Angela says, there are some people who suddenly, are, you know, who are not that interested in politics, don't follow politics, and suddenly something mm. happens where they go, "Well, that's not okay." Yes, and that's what I think what happened with Partygate. So they might actually do, they yes. might care yes. about yes. other people. They might not just be caring about their own wallets, but they're just not that engaged with politics. And suddenly they find out that uh, when they couldn't go and see their dying grandmother, Boris Johnson was having a party, and they just the unfairness of that cuts through, uh,
3: and they think, "I'm done. With, I'm yes. done with this lot yes. now." Yes. Um, um, I think yeah, that's uh, the important point. That, yeah, that, yeah, that it's a tipping point that isn't right, related yeah. directly to politics. It's related to something else that that can be understood by someone who's not interested in yeah. politics or the economy or any of that stuff. You know that don't because most people don't engage with that on a day to day basis. Yeah. And um, whereas, like you say, Partygate was such a black and white. Wait a minute, I couldn't visit my nan in the care home, and they were having piss ups that's not okay you know was yeah, a, yeah, that yeah. was a tipping point i think that
1: yeah absolutely and i think but the reason that that's pertinent to a sort of conversation about history is because i think that in any situation in history where there's a sudden change it's not just because something magically has changed it as because it is because of some something like that a similar dynamic so i would think in uh, in the 1640s there would have been a sudden dynamic the so hang on the two things the royalty what the royalty is demanding of us is so grossly unfair and combined with that oh we think we can actually do something about it if we you know the, the local puritans or whatever you know they seem to be speaking sense even though it might seem nonsense if you take it out of context 308 years later and i think a similar thing would have happened or in the the um well take the east european rebellions the famous one. The more the more re, the more repressive the regime, the slower the the, the slower the apparently build the, the apparent build yeah. up of opposition is. But the more dramatic it suddenly yeah. is when it was and it was Ceausescu, wasn't it, who was speaking at a place where it had been spoke it had spoken. Ceausescu was the president of the grotesque regime in Romania, and suddenly people started booing. And once one person started booing, more people joined yeah. in. In the past, they'd have been carted off and never seen again. Suddenly, within three days, yeah, he was overthrown.
2: Yeah. So the, the, there's a phrase for that, which is you know how did it, how did it happen? Very gradually, and then all at once. And that's uh, and, and right, that is right. uh, how it often happens is to. And I'd say that um, uh, dichotomy that you're describing of sort of dramatic events, uh, you need. You need the suffragette smashing the window, but you also need Millic- Millicent Fawcett, the suffragist, doing petitions for 30 years before yeah, yeah. that uh, to have done the groundwork and to gradually gnaw, you know, gnawed away at public opinion before the dramatic event that grabs the papers and make people think, yeah, this is a bit much, actually. Um and so you need the diligent leafletter, yeah, and yeah, then yeah. who's going? This the on the day of the poll tax riots, I was giving out leaflets in Wandsworth about the poll tax, and uh, I wasn't there burning down porter cabins. But I think you need both both wings. You need the protest, and you need the campaigner.
1: Yes, so now we'll look at this, this train of thought going because uh, there is a view of history that it is just about individuals and what individuals do. So you can imagine a history of Boris Johnson. He was, um, whatever else you say about him, he was an extraordinarily brilliant campaigner and communicator and so on. And then suddenly at the end of 2021, he lost that ability and so he went down down the pan. And uh, And then in 2024... <laughs> he ended up in jail. Look at that view of... <laughs> that view of... of poor, <laughs> oh, some poor bastard in the bunk upstairs. I've got the biggest strawberry in the whole world. <laughs> oh, Fucking it. I'll stop him lying. Like the bloody guards won't come. But, of course, it's it's not that. It's not about... Let's not say individual actions don't have an enormous impact. Of course, they do. But if they're removed from like huge social movements one way or the other then they don't then they don't mean anything and from henry the being able to uh bring about the the breakup of the church to the fall of boris johnson it's the actions of of millions of people or maybe even the ideas of millions of people exactly in that case as you say hang on a minute they were having a piss up he overplayed his hand he thought that he was by himself virtue of his own magnificence was just um unassailable and didn't realize that once people realized yeah. who he really was that <laughs> they would go No, or not oh not 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 everyone but probably half the people who loved him now think he's horrible
3: i think he he learned didn't he that you can't once you're prime minister you can't hide anymore like he could he had hiding places for the worst excesses of his personality i think in the past or again that plausible deniability of 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 what he was like as a human once you're a prime minister you're constantly in the spotlight and constantly he that side was always going to come out that that's his personality. That's who he is, and he couldn't hide it anymore. And then it became, for the people around him, stopped shielding him. And I think that's the moment. The minute all those resignations started, the minute that started to crumble, the people that had helped to disguise that side of who he was suddenly went, "Fuck you, mate. You're on your own. I, I want no more to do with this." I think. I think looking back at a big like yeah. history about tipping points, isn't it? Like John said, you you mm. can have. Millions of people quietly building a movement, and then it's one person who pushes it into being an event that is now a historical event. Gets the credit. That person might be the person with the best press or it might be the person who, you know, just at the time happened to be in the right place at the right time and gets the credit. But there's usually a wave and then a tipping point, I think, with most big events in history. And I think that's what's really interesting, is looking at not just the person who pushed it over the edge, but what came before. And so we did an episode on the 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 sort of spate of of revolutions in in Eastern Europe. And it's really interesting to see those it's falling dominoes across the whole of Eastern Europe. Mm. You know, and and once one goes, the others, some took more longer than others, some did it in different ways. Um but it was a movement. It wasn't just an over it looked like it happened overnight, but that was over yeah, decades yeah, yeah. of pressure building. But I wonder if
2: Gorbachev had had a different personality or he'd been replaced by a different old Soviet leader, then that might have taken much longer. And the, in, the personality of Gorbachev was the key factor in going, we're not going to try and uh, uh, defend Eastern Europe from you know making their own decisions anymore. Uh, So I think personalities do have a part to play. You can't stop the tide, but sometimes you can divert it and sometimes you can, you know, just maybe you just don't get over that tipping point sometimes. There's been near revolutions in countries that never quite happened. There was a tipping point in the Iranian revolution when it might have been socialist rather than Islamic. Do you know what I
3: mean? The point is Gorbachev did come along because we could say... Well Gorbachev might have come along three decades earlier, a Gorbachev, or you might have had you know instead of Gorbachev, you might have had another Stalin, and then it could have taken another three decades before those cards fell but But I think the the, the point is that the the feelings were there, the desire was there, it just took certain personalities to move that forward at different speeds
1: yeah, I think it's it's like asking. What makes, if if someone's banging a drum, what makes the noise, the drummer or the drum? And it's either without the other one is not going to make any noise. And, uh, sounds like the
2: day, Mark. So I think (laughs) it's.
1: <laughs> I need to get off the And you know, that brings me back to when Jesus was in the wilderness and he wished he had a drum, and he just had to, he just had to imagine one of Buddy Rich's most wonderful syncopated how? jazz solos in I his mind. <laughs> uh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. So, oh God, I'm too old. <laughs> I keep forgetting things. I keep forgetting this is doing a thing about history. I can't remember what I was saying 25 seconds ago. Can you do one of your podcasts where you put about, your keys about earlier this
3: <laughs> I am not the person um, to be doing that podcast. I have menopause and ADHD. I don't know where I am
1: right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh yeah, so I th- I think that the oh right yes i was going to mention this right so i think yeah in individuals absolutely obviously if some what an individual does what in in key situations obviously what millicent Fawcett did what uh uh, sylvia pankhurst indeed emily pankhurst and the more conservative suffragettes and so on what they did was critical without there's no goods going oh well if they there are there would be a school of thought that would go oh, if they if they didn't exist someone else yeah. would have existed and and women would have had the vote anyway but i think that's maybe but then those individuals would be the ones that we would revere nonetheless when the social movement becomes so strong so now i'm going to sound incredibly ridiculously cliché here when i was uh, a, a young trotskyist i read trotsky's history of the russian revolution and as comedically as it, and and I know this is just laying myself open <laughs> to be, to such utter ridicule. I don't like this. It's so good actually for you. it's a it's a it's an absolutely brilliantly fascinating book. It's really funny as well, and he was a, a really really fascinating writer. There was one of the one of the bits that I remember he wrote about. As I think this is so true about history, he writes about the diaries of the Tsar in 1917 in the early part of the revolution when the Russian parliament collapsed. And the diaries are full of stuff about going out hunting and about uh, of the, the clouds and so on and what a beautiful day it was. And then one day he says that the Russian parliament, which is called the Duma, uh, the Duma was abolished today, exclamation mark. And Trotsky says, and the man is so devoid of any understanding of what's going on around him, a simple exclamation mark ends 300 years of Russian history. But he then goes through the diaries of Louis the 16th at the time of the French Revolution on the day of the Bastille uh, being demolished and the French um well the equivalent wasn't a parliament but the french sort of system of government collapsing and it's extraordinary almost word for word it's exactly the same the oh, we went out hunting the river was nice just, it was yeah, almost incredible like, and he said bec- he says there's this beautiful phrase he says this is about the thing with history when social movements are that great the people who seem important no uh end up being unable to do anything to he says to a tickle we all behave dif- differently But to a red hot poker in the face, we all behave alike, and I think there's something brilliant about an understanding there of the relationship between individuals and social movements. In the face of something that massive,
2: there was nothing. It's like uh, it's like the, the teenage diary. Things, isn't it? It's like uh, had Pope, had cocoa Pops for breakfast. Man landed on the moon today. <laughs> it's the same basic thing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like yeah, What's fascinating about that is the the what um, you know the czar or Louis the four, uh, Louis the Sixteenth were not talking about is so indicative of why there had to be a revolution. The fact that they were so completely oblivious, it was yeah, to yeah, yeah. let them eat cake. Diary entry. Uh, it's like yeah. I I don't get it. Um, but just to come back on to the personalities of those people, just you were talking about 1640s and Charles I. When I was writing my history book, my first one, I, I, I became aware that Charles II was just as autocratic and contemptuous of Parliament as Charles I. And they would, the, the MPs would march round to Charles II and demand this change. And, and Charles I ripped the bill up in front of their faces and it ended up in civil war. Charles II said... Come down to my wine cellars. I got some fantastic port that just came in. And they all got pissed together. And, and, the, and the, the outcome was complete, because that what Charles II had was charm. He was just funny and easy. And he just got his way by getting everyone drunk and having a sort of bit of a manner about him, which Charles the First never had. And so it wasn't until his brother came to the throne that they had to have another revolution. But um that's a factor. It's another factor that gets overlooked in when we talk about personalities and history, just how good people were with people and whether you could sort of get away with it. And Boris Johnson had that charm that got him so far and then it didn't then
3: it suddenly ran out. I think that's exactly it, isn't it? It's about PR as well in history, as much yeah. as anything else, about your public relations. And we saw that with Brexit. So you think if he'd gone on Sunday brunch, yeah. if he'd gone on Sunday brunch, Charles <laughs> I, it would have none of it would have happened. <laughs> if he'd but gone it, like is, it, Bellamy, first it, of all, how it, are you?
1: What? He should have done. Yeah, Charles I, first, gone on first. How are you? How are you feeling? Are you, are feeling? you okay? <laughs> are you okay? We've all lost some of. This week, we've lost some of our absolutely key military advisors, and I, like you, are feeling really, really distressed about it, (laughs) but we are going to carry on. Later on, after I've torn up the Bill of Rights proposed by the New Model Army, we are going to be talking to Bradley Walsh about his new book about making
2: marmalade. (laughs) It's not far from how it happened.
1: (laughs) uh what's a, what are your opinions of it because that, well clearly clearly there has been a change in the way history has been told uh, since certainly I was at, at at school it isn't as dry even the official history so someone like simon sharma is very popular even though he's um quite conservative i think but he's he's no doubt he's no doubt much more popular so there's been a there's been a change for the better isn't there
3: yeah i think well I mean there's been lots of ways you can consume history now that there weren't when I was at school for example podcasts or you know where you can get a, a sort of you can hand pick a bit more I think how you learn about what you want to learn about if that makes sense so it's not just um you've got you know whatever happens to be on BBC One that night and uh and your teachers, um, and whatever the curriculum says that you have to learn about, you you can find the things that interest you. And I mean, that's how this all came about. You know, the the podcast that John and I do is because I only really started getting interested in history as an adult, and um, and I just saw that that a lot of history podcasts that existed at the time when I sort of had this idea were quite. A lot of them were quite dry and quite academic. And that, you know, I thought there was a place for a history podcast where it is just a couple of people who aren't experts, who are just nerds (laughs) about a topic. And you can learn about it as they do. So John and I don't, John's written a couple of history books, but we're not historians and we don't present ourselves as we've got all the answers and we're going to teach you. We present it as we're going to read the history books so you don't have to come and learn about
2: yeah, this thing yeah, with
1: a us sense, yeah know. we're finding out with you there's a lovely yeah. sense to to your yeah 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 there's a lovely sense to that as you uh, that you get the sense that like oh you've just found this and found it fascinating i like when i did the my uh lectures series i thought yeah i, I thought i'd benefit from that like, so so when i was doing that i th- I thought this is amazing that for instance you'd find you'd read a history book like about Descartes or something. And I thought this is quite tricky to get around the ideas of Descartes. And on about page four of a biography of Descartes, I came across the the concept that he always used to work while sitting <laughs> in an oven. <laughs>
2: and why would you leave that out? Why
1: would you leave that out? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> then it's sort of, and of course in the book they're then going on. Oh, uh, goes some one, the time, and they sort of the and a day card being, and then fled and were left in Amsterdam. And of course, all I'm thinking is in
2: a fucking <laughs> oven. And, uh, uh, and so that's why he that had a day cart always. Oh, very good. Yeah. I declare it the Duke of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah and in fact he sat in in this oven doing his work throughout his whole life and he he refused to get up until uh 11 he never woke up until 11 and then when he was broke later on in life there was a swedish member of the swedish royal family that uh employed him to be a a personal philosopher but he had to start early in the morning and he sort of tried to negotiate his way out of that and She said, no, no, you need to start early in the morning. So he had to start early in the morning. And after two weeks, he Sounds like a stand-up comic. So,
3: Yeah, I was going to say, I think an early start and kill me these days. (laughs) (laughs) I've
1: got this gig for the Swedish royal family. That sounds good. I've got to start on nine in the room. No, you can't do that. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I think that the sort of, any of you you would be the same yeah. if you had to do the thing about Descartes you would get to page four and you'd go yeah, That's absolutely oven. right, and that would be all yeah, you would that think about that would be
3: what you'd hang it on as well that would yeah. be the top line of the podcast mm. and that would be mm. you know because they're the things that make it fun the dates and all that come but it's the yeah. little stories and the little and the funny bits that uh, we uh,
2: love and the human stories so I remember being about 20 and, a, and a, there's this. I was in the pub quiz team at university, and there's this local sort of communist bloke, and him just talking about William the Conqueror being an utter bastard. And it just never occurred to me that people from right. history could be utter bastards or good blokes. And, it's like, <laughs> and it was sort of revelatory at the time, but that's sort of been my approach ever since that, you know, Henry VIII was a psychopath, and we need to say so, you know. Um, yeah. And yeah. that uh, yeah. most people in history are probably quite complex and, um, Abraham Lincoln when he was doing the Gettysburg Address probably was nerves and probably did go, Oh, is this a bit shit? Yeah, is, this, yeah. oh, is this any good? I was gonna just do a tight five. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: He's running over he's yeah. running over. He's, he's running over, str- God. running over. He does <laughs> yeah. it every time. He did no, the no,
2: no time for anyone else <sighs> to do a sound check, Abe. <laughs> Lights, give the
1: light give him a light. Give him a light. I'll see him give him a light of a ten. <laughs> oh,
2: <dear. sighs>
1: Castro, on yeah. the other end. I wonder if he got a light. Give him a light at nine hours.
2: <laughs> but that, that's, yeah, that's a human uh, response to the, the, the situation's Then It must have been a bit boring when Castro spoke for nine hours.
3: Was everyone really gripped?
2: Or, yeah. Yeah, I think it yeah. was.
3: Of course no, they like, were well, With a lot I, of like I, The yeah. North Korean leaders And you know That they applauded For three and a half hours You're like Well they didn't do that Spontaneously Because that, they did that So they didn't get shot You know And there's <laughs> a Imagine standing And clapping at someone For three hours That right. so you don't oh, get wow. You know The reality Jesus. of these and things the, Yeah but then you, the
1: terror Of being the first one To sit yeah, down the First
3: though. one to stop clapping And go That's... my hands are, You know
1: <laughs> Yeah 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 Oh god that would Yeah yeah no That would be uh, That would be very bad Yeah now, but the thing in, with North Korea, I sort of thought that a little bit when I was listening to your Albania program. I did one of my in-town shows about Kingston. Okay. Well, a lot in, of people in compare Kingston and North Korea, very similar in many ways. <laughs> <laughs> well, in this regard, it is. Because there's a roundabout... Uh, there's a roundabout just off the A3 that takes you to Kingston, and that roundabout has got a Krispy Kreme donuts shop. <laughs> now, on the roundabout? Build it on the roundabout, just where the A3 is. Right. Krispy Kreme okay. donuts. Now, upstairs, upstairs at the Krispy Kreme donuts shop at the A3 roundabout, it uh, it, it, it used to be owned by the Craze. Wow. But now it is run... It is an office for North Koreans who have escaped from North Korea.
3: Oh, I've read
1: about little, this place. Yeah, and they print a little uh, North Korean sort of paper for, I don't know, I don't know how many people, but, you know, now escaping from North Korea is not no. easy. Uh, it means the most extraordinarily complex sort of set of and also you you, know, you have to worry that your family will all be executed and so on, and there's a certain bit of China that you can escape from, and then you have to have a sort of probably an underground railroad, yeah. I guess, that gets you through China out to Mongolia or whatever. Not easier, And then, now for a, a reason that i've not I, no one has ever really been able to explain to me but new malden this little suburb of kingston in south london is the center of the korean community it has been since about the 60s like south korea right. and they, in the world cup they play football there's a big pub there the fountain and there'll be a thousand and when korea win then there'll be a little march with them all banging the symbols and all that and going day and whatever it is and um uh, and so they, they went there. And, of course, now there's tension between the North Koreans and the South Koreans. And the South Koreans are going, oh, it's all right for them. And they're bloody coming over here and spoiling it. And, um, it's all on the A3. all on the A3. All on the A3 Krispy Kreme donut place. And what I found really fascinating, now this is sort of – I don't come out well out of this because, of course, I was doing all sorts – I wrote all little jokes in the script and so on about North Korea, as you would, as you know, Kim Jong-un is a, a comic figure and of course korea i spoke to a couple of korean people and they would just go yeah but no but we don't see him like that he's not a comic figure he's killed all our mates and i remember someone saying that thinking oh yeah sorry
2: yeah, sure.
1: <laughs> it was just a bit of a joke to us really
2: yeah i did a tweet about um listen to our podcast and it was like um uh yeah and plus if you you know subscribe to patreon you get Chance to vote on your favorite Korean dictator and North Korean dictator, and I thought just throw it away yeah. a little joke, but somebody came back to me. and Went that's an imperial. I mean, I think this guy was a you know a bit off because he was going like, um, oh yeah, that's imperially punching down, I mean, is it? <laughs> yeah, it's like. And then I looked at his other. I looked at his other tweets, and he was retweeting George Galloway and oh, all sorts, and look, loads of pro, oh. loads of pro Chinese anti Taiwan tweets. Yeah. I went, okay, this guy's like. Well, I can he's bring got got up some issues
1: because obviously he's uh, he's, yeah, on his, he's on this. He's on your show regularly. <laughs> yeah
2: (laughs) Uh, i'm just
3: remembering Uh, um yeah there's a story i just tried to google it just then it was about 10 years ago of a a hairdresser's in somewhere like Ealing, where they were advertising um uh sort of uh, get your hair cut here don't end up with a bad hair day or something and it had a picture of of kim jong-un and a couple of north korean officials turned up wow um, like embassy <laughs> officials turned up and asked them to take it down
2: that's amazing isn't as, it? wow
3: as, yeah, yeah it's the stories like that just really i love it
1: yeah yeah i mean i suppose you can't help but find them funny even well, though they, it's probably i can understand that your sense of humor yeah. about it if the, mm. if the blokes you know tortured all Absolutely. your family with wild yeah i mean dogs, we tried to we tried
2: Still, you've got to have well, a joke, about it, have a joke yeah. about it. and Sometimes we'll go, right, this week on our humorous podcast, the Spanish Civil War. And you go, wow, this is pretty grim. <laughs> the Black Death. Oh, no, no, I love that. Oh, uh, no. Half of Europe dead. This is going to be a funny one. So... Sometimes yeah. we struggle to keep. You the have property. to
3: find the humour in it, but I think we're quite good at that balance, and I think we're quite good as well at acknowledging. So we just did a podcast about. Um, we recorded it, it; hasn't gone out yet, but we did one about um, the the nineteen oh four St. Louis Marathon, and it's a bonkers story. Like, uh, listen to it when it comes out. It's oh,
0: go a on, yes, yes, I know, mad I know. Go story. on,
3: yeah. But it wasn't until so I'd heard about the marathon and and this sort of crazy stuff that happened during the marathon. So I said, oh, I pitched an episode about it. And then it wasn't till I sort of read a bit more about it that I discovered, so it happened at the 1904 Olympics, which was part of the St. Louis World Fair in 1904. Right. And you know, world fairs and great exhibition, all that were a really big thing of the sort of late 19th, early 20th century. But this yes. particular World Fair in 1904, and this is something that happened a lot at this time, but they had an element of it which was a sort of human zoo where they were displaying people from different cultures, you know, as, inverted commas, right. savages, or as, you know, and they pitted them against each other in these games. And th- it was really dark and a really awful story. So what started off as a podcast about this marathon, that, which is a mad story in itself, there was sort of this really dark side to the to the story as a as a whole, and you have to acknowledge that you have to sort of say, look, we're telling you this silly story from history about a marathon, but actually the background to it is is dark, and and it requires us to be a little bit more sensitive and and to acknowledge that part of the history, you know. And I think there's a balance to be struck between it all being fun and games and silly and laughing at these people from the past, but also you have to go and you know, some bad shit happened and Uh, acknowledging that as part of it with a bit of sensitivity. I would say it's
2: quite an important part of our podcast that we're both on the left and that we approach history from the left because I don't really go along with that sort of generic, oh, it was the values of the day, so we can't really criticise slavery or we can't criticise Caesar murdering thousands of Jews. Uh, It's like, well, that's pretty bad. I reckon the people at that time probably thought that was pretty bad as well. Um, So we apply our... Our sense of right and wrong to whatever was happening 500 years ago and I think the listeners are smart enough to have both ideas in this in their head at the same time of yeah that was it was oppressive then but it's not acceptable now
1: I think it's it's the key to that though thinking and this is why it becomes complex it's to sort of suggest is to always to ponder what would have been just uh seen as de rigueur is that the right phrase what would have been seen as just being normal and therefore hardly anybody would have opposed it and uh, what would have been unacceptable even at the time so obviously segregation in 1950s 1960s america was brutal un, uh, and uh, just extremely utterly violent despicable and so on at the time and there was a movement against it and so you can sort of judge it if you like by who was on the side of the civil rights movement and the arguments within that and who was the people trying to in- enforce it and so on. What I think is more difficult though is when liberal people from now impose today's language, if you like, and say therefore such and such a speech in 1953 that was disgraceful because it used language that now would be considered. with you on that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, unacceptable Ooh. I mean
3: yeah uh, also there's a difference between uh, language and intention cancelling people
1: in retrospect
3: yeah but there's a difference between the particularly when it comes to language you know the intention of a speech is 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 more important yeah, yeah. than the words that were used I think and also um you know you 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 have to acknowledge that at the time okay that you say things were acceptable at the time, but there must have been a level of it not being acceptable for it to ever have changed. You know, there must have been a seed of. So, for example, these human zoos I was talking about at St. Louis World Fair, there were people against it at the time, and they might have been in the right. minority at the time, but you need a seed of something for it to swell and grow into a movement. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and same with. Abolitionists, like it didn't just, you know, everyone was fine with slavery, and then the next day they weren't. You know, there had to be people who, quite early on, were not okay with it, in order to to grow that <laughs> yeah, yeah, feeling yeah. and that sentiment well, to make to it a movement. Point
1: about yeah, going to John's point about decades of sort of uh, of laying the groundwork for a, what a, what then becomes a suddenly uh, an apparently sudden movement. That it was the decades of the of abolitionists who created the. The momentum that meant that there could be a civil war against the confederate in fact um, Harriet Beecher Stowe wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin there it, it so it is recorded Abraham Lincoln met her towards the end of the civil war and said at last I meet the woman who started the civil war and uh, because Uncle Tom's cabin had such an impact amongst so many people and turned them from sort of maybe being passive objectors to slavery into being uh, activists And the act- the actions of the abolitionists in the 1840s and 1850s were astonishing. I mean, extraordinarily dra- brave and imaginative in sort of diving in through courtrooms and stuff where slave owners had come up to get their property back. And they would sort of like Indiana Jones style, dive in through the courtroom and grab a slave and get them off to Canada and so on where they could be free. And um, apart from giving out leaflets outside Wandsworth <laughs> in uh, <laughs> I was doing that then as well. <laughs> no, um the uh,
2: the thing is that people if people were pointing out that it was wrong back then, then somebody was saying, Well, I've heard that and I don't agree, it doesn't it's not convenient to me to listen to that argument. And those people are culpable, I think, by going, no, slavery is fine. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah so yeah. we can go, oh, you can't judge it by today's standards. But you know, if you had a if you were a slave owner in, in Britain in 1780, there were people telling you this wasn't okay and you chose to ignore it.
1: Yes, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. And similarly, a human
1: human zoo. And it's like, so today,
2: I don't know when this is going out, but there's a big piece by... uh, um, um, the former Telegraph uh, editor, Max Hastings, going, what a terrible person Boris Johnson is. And he's uh, one of the most dishonest people I've ever met. Mate, you employed him for years. You had him in your paper. You gave him a column. You're an enabler. (laughs) So don't sort of play this, where did this terrible man come from that I employed all this time? You know,
3: yeah
1: yes yes that well there's definitely there's definitely going to be yeah. a bit of that and that and of course and again that is if you look even if the f- most scant glance at history <laughs> shows you that this is not a new yeah. thing that there will throughout history there'll be i don't know oh stalin wasn't he awful <laughs> and um yeah or suddenly amongst people in the politburo in russia in 1955.
2: yeah or conversely wasn't uh wasn't germany terrible in uh, 1939 to 45, and wasn't Britain great to fight them? Oh, what's that Bengal famine? That doesn't really fit in the narrative, that thing that was going on inside the British Empire, or the you know um, the, the destruction of the French fleet in Mez el-Kabir, where thousands of people, bits of history that we sort of forget about, because they don't quite fit our narrative of good is, bad is, Nazis, anti-Nazis. It's incredibly complex, and we pick and choose the people, and we pick and choose our heroes and villains.
1: Well, very much so. So now, it's just because so you, you're saying, there, John, about being on on the left and therefore having a view of history. Because of course, there is a there is a view of history that it is just facts, and that's all that should be taught. And that you're more like it's, this is much more likely to come from someone who's on the right. I think there shouldn't be a there shouldn't be a value system imposed upon this. It was simply if we're trying to learn history, we should just learn a series of facts. But of course, that then in turn dictates how you which see facts? history. Yeah, you know, which like. facts you Well, somebody's,
3: somebody's written the facts. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. somebody's written down the fact. What is it? History's written by the victors, as they say. Yeah, chosen. So, yeah, you know, you chosen. can learn a list of dates that things happen. But somebody's chosen what, just by choosing what the important dates are. Because you can ask any person will know will be able to tell you the dates of world war Two. can they tell you the dates of the bengal famine can they tell you da- you know no because those dates weren't picked. they're still dates yeah they
1: weren't chosen yes, yeah i mean uh, or or there's the guy on question time who's um <laughs> who's uh I, I don't know on various sort of modern television stations and what have you who who said that it was ex- it was ridiculously woke for there to be a film about the first world war in which there were there was yeah. a Sikh in the uh, amongst the british forces <laughs> and of course there were of course the slightest little yeah. glance history would tell you that was uh, that was yeah. that was not only was that possible but that was almost that would have been almost definitely yeah. the case and um yeah uh, so in fact it is the it seems to be it's the right who are so determined not to look at the uh, to see history as upholding something that does, that isn't really rational such as britain was always great yes that that therefore <laughs> therefore create this sort Mif. of a yeah m- complete distort a yeah, complete yeah, myth, yeah.
2: yeah so um that's why i think it's essential to go to have a debate about it and have, it's an ongoing discussion and the terms by which we um evaluate uh, you know the good guys and the bad guys, and uh, all those uh, other factors is uh, always changing and in flux. So uh, that's why we try and do stories about uh, women in history, or you know take things from the point of view of one of the slaves. We did a podcast like that because that's a uh, that they, these are narratives that have have been neglected. Up, excuse me, that have been neglected up till now, and we're trying to get them some more airtime.
1: Are there is there such a thing as good people and bad people? I mean, if you sort of leave aside, you know, Hitler, Stalin, bad, and uh, yeah, maybe, but well, definitely,
2: no, 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 maybe, definitely. (laughs) definitely, (laughs) So, definitely, (laughs) these quotes in this are
3: incredible. (laughs) (laughs) I can't can't wait to see (laughs) Mark Steele says Uh, Hitler,
1: Stalin might be bad. (laughs) (laughs) They might be bad. It's not. It's just you get to an age where you think you don't want to. You want to see the good in everybody. (laughs) but there are very few. So take, for example, if because it it's let's say take someone like Malcolm X. If you just see someone like him, uh, and you just try to evaluate Malcolm X in a way that you might see a, a Disney film, yeah. is it a goodie? Is it a yeah. baddie? Well, Malcolm X was clearly someone who fought uh, against the, the most horrible yeah. racism and so on. His ideas, if you take them out of context, absolutely bonkers. He believed yeah. in this na- nation of yeah. Islam business in which white people were specially bred on a European island as devils, uh, uh, going back under of years by a man called Dr. Jacob, and that all white peoples were some sort of manifestation of the yeah. devil. That's clearly nonsense. If you look at Malcolm X's life, the, the fire, the racist, burnt his house down, white insurance company diddled his mum out of the insurance and so on, plus all the racism going on around him, you can see how then he ends up in jail and becomes susceptible to these this set of ideas and then turns it into something that is at least partially, I would say, uh, uh, positive. So it's not to say to, to trying to reduce individuals or movements or periods as just good yeah. or bad is to oversimplify. I'm not saying
3: context is in. You- yeah. No, no, I know. Yeah, context is important in everything. You know, we try to look at things in context of the time, in context of the people involved and their backgrounds, and you know, go into as much context as we can when we look at something. And like you say, you know, you look, you can take any individuals but no one's perfect so you could take any individual's behavior and frame it exactly not even
2: stalin mark
3: <laughs> but, you know so you have to you have to look at the that you know, yeah. what's happened around it what's made them that way you know and and the presentation of things without context is where you have problems is where you have like the, the immigration debate so many arguments in this country at the moment are put Forward, without enough context, that suddenly you're in a situation where people you know are trying to you can see a child in a dinghy. And think that that is somebody trying to take something from them, yeah, yeah. you know, without without thinking of the context of how that and why that child has ended up in that dinghy with their parents. And, and the, you know, the way that the system that they're supporting has put them there. And on all of these, there's so much, and, it, and it's just an onion with infinite layers.
1: Is that, is that a similar situation to where someone would have walked past the the human zoo in St Louis, and I've gone oh, and I justified it and gone oh, I'll, I'm sure that you know they at least they're getting fed in there yeah, or something yeah. like that. I, you yeah, can you imagine the absolutely. things people well, the would thing have said. Well, the thing with St Louis
3: was you know there was a big di- because they got paid, so if they're getting paid, surely that's fine. Then they're making money. Look at them. Well, you yeah, know, not a like- point. <laughs> <laughs> so what about context?
2: No, I, mean, I said the heroes and villains thing. I mean, I mean, people are portrayed as good as and bad is because that makes it easier to consume. We all know that, you know, uh, that there's uh, it's much more complex than that, and it's much easier to go. Churchill was a war hero, but you know, you and I know that he was also uh, an enormous racist and that he was uh, suppressed the trade unions. But I'll take the bit about him being a very good war leader and put that alongside the other stuff and we you know we should be able to have both ideas at the same time without people going they're de- now they're denigrating our great leader Churchill it's like come on guys we're grownups <laughs> up so yeah, let's, yeah, yeah.
1: Let's- the left can be the left can be as bad though I think oh yeah yeah guess, absolutely sort of a, so the left will go oh no that person was terrible because yes they might have done that and that and that and led a social movement and overturned a dictatorship but did you see the terrible thing that they wrote about um yeah oh I don't know that they were they were terrible on the on the issue yeah. of um, yeah you know, cooking right. like- Turkish food. <laughs>
2: <laughs> they use the wrong pronoun, so they're done. They can yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah, absolutely. So I think it's we're trying to be sort of uh, uh, nuanced, and nuanced is always nuanced is always good. And damn with people who won't use nuance. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all
1: right. Well, I'll thank you. Well, we could continue this for many hours. We can't continue it outside, as I've done for the up until two minutes ago, because it's fucking started pouring oh, my rain. Oh,
3: the storms Desaster. are
1: coming. Mm-hmm. That's quite. That's quite a a play for a history podcast, isn't it? And then the storm <laughs> came, and we all thought it was going to go one way, and then the opposite happened. Go get my washing in. <laughs> thank you so much and so the We Are History Pod so tell us where we can where
2: you can uh, hear such things well, I could record them on cassette and post them to people. We're quite old-fashioned <laughs> like that. I'll,
3: I'll take this one, Mark. <laughs> you, you can download it wherever you get your podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever. Um, wherever you get your podcast, you should be able to find it. Uh, we're at we are History Pod on Twitter and Instagram, um, and we also have a little Patreon you can join where you can get all the episodes um early and ad-free and a little bit of extra content from me and John coming up.
1: There should also be a layer to your Patreon uh, offer where if you pay a certain amount, someone comes around in a stagecoach at night and knocks (laughs) on the door and says, Indeed, (laughs) sire. It is time for the Hi- We Are History pod has arrived. And you have to say, I trust your journey was not too arduous, sir.
2: <laughs> we're doing it. <laughs> we well, are doing that, answer, Mark. Thank you for the suggestion. pounds a month. We will do that. <laughs> John will dress up as a coachman.
1: <laughs> John, O'Farrell and Angela Barnes, now we know what the fuck
2: was going on over the last 20 million years. That's Angela's, Angela likes to go back that far, usually. <laughs> no. Thanks for having us on, Mark.
3: <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Mark. <laughs>
1: Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you've liked it, rate it, and if you can be bothered, write a review. If there is anything at all that you think I should be finding out what the fuck is going on with it, please send me a message on Twitter at WTF on pod, and we will look at every message that you send. If you would like to become a WTF supporter and get early access to ad-free extended versions for as little as £2 a month, please visit our Patreon page. What the Fuck Is Going On was hosted by me, Mark Steele, with my guests John O'Farrell and Angela Barnes. It was written by Mark Steele and Pete Sinclair. Music was by Willie Dowling. It was produced by Mike Benwell at Carousel Studio. What the Fuck Is Going On was brought to you by WTF Productions.